TCR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Good morning, Katya. Good morning, Dean. Um, good morning to you all out there. Hopefully you are keeping warm. It's been a crazy few days with this uh, cold chill coming through. Um, I think we're going to get to a top of 14 today or something like that. But um, we're in the studio, so it's all good. Um, on the show today, we'll um, have the second part of our Ziana Ford, uh, Faud, sorry, Fouad. Apologies, coordinator of the Crick Hole Collective at Friends of the Earth, talking about the uh, energy justice road trip yes, that they that's did. Right. Um, and then at 7.45, we'll be listening to Erin McKinnon, who's a statewide coordinator at Reconciliation Victoria. Um, and we'll be talking to her about, I guess, the role of uh, Reconciliation Victoria and also the uh, Heart Awards, which um, will be announced tomorrow, June the 1st. And I guess what they are essentially about is um, uh, making sure that, you know, local uh, groups and local government understand what, um, you know, uh, reconciliation is. And I guess the Heart stands for Helping Achieve Reconciliation Together. That's the acronym there. Uh, and then at 8 o'clock... W- Eight o'clock, we're speaking with Christine Nyingware-Palmer. She'll be speaking about Grandmothers Against Detention and what they've been up to for Reconciliation Week this week in Canberra. Oh, fantastic. It's... um yeah, it seems like a, I think it's the tenth anniversary also of the Stolen Generation. Tenth um, uh, anniversary of the apo- National Apology, apology yep. and twentieth anniversary of the Bring Them Home report. Wow, was it really nineteen ninety eight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we'll touch on that, which was um, I think Reconciliation Week started on May the twenty tw- seventh, but National Sorry Day is held on May the twenty sixth yes. every year. So we'll touch on that Um, And hopefully uh, we'll have a few little surprises in between But what we might do is uh, just quickly go to a few community announcements And we might touch on some uh, alternative news I know last week um, we had a a piece uh, regarding the Irish abortion referendum Which uh, took place the Friday after our show So we'll have a little bit of a chat about that I know the guys on Monday Breakfast did a little bit of it as well But um, if you missed that, we'll put our own spin on it Back in just a moment. 3CR Radiothon 2018, Fight for Your Mic. The 3CR annual Radiothon fundraiser is almost here. From June the 4th to the 17th, we're asking you to help us stay on air by making a generous donation. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. To donate, call... 039419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au 3CR Radio from 2018 Fight for your mic Twenty eighteen marks twenty years since senior traditional owner Yvonne Margarula invited supporters to come to Mirar Country within Kakadu National Park to blockade the proposed Jabaluka uranium mine. Thousands answered the call. The mine was stopped. 
To commemorate this extraordinary anniversary, Conjadme Aboriginal Corporation and the Australian Conservation Foundation have produced a gorgeous commemorative calendar. Standing strong, Jabaluka 20 years is a piece of history you don't want to miss. Order your copy today at mirar.net. That's M-I-R-A-R-R dot net. A 3CR supporter. The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. Istra Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. And oh, We're back. We're back, we are. Um, and just before we get started on some alternative news... Uh, 3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. Yes, and um, especially more poignant in this week, which is uh, Reconciliation Week, and Don't Keep History a Mystery um, is the uh, campaign uh, slogan for for this year, uh, Learn, Share and Grow. And the idea is it explores a history hidden just beneath the surface, ready and waiting to be uncovered. Um, and this National Reconciliation Week, learn more about that Australian history. I know... I've spoken many times about what I learnt in high school about the history of Australia and Indigenous people, and it was very light. So the kids these days are quite uh, fortunate to be learning a little bit more. Um, but we'll, we'll, you know, our show hopefully um, will be a little bit dedicated to, um, you know, uh, the events that are happening around Reconciliation Week. But just quickly, last week we played um, uh, an Irish referendum piece, which was. Um, you know, talking really about what was going to happen the next day. Um, and that was um, that uh, abortion was illegal in Ireland and there was a process of reform after a after referendum was going to be placed, um, replacing a provision of the Constitution of Ireland. Some people say it's the 6th. I think the 8th. It's the, yeah, yeah, yeah it's but the in eighth. some newsprint it's... Uh, been reported as the sixth, which is quite. What's the word I'm looking for? The sixth. Confusing, maybe. <laughs> no, no. Um, what's the word? Amendment. The sixth. Yes. Yeah. Some pla- some people are saying it's a sixth amendment, okay. and but I think the eighth is right because yeah, I've seen that more consistently now. But last week I think I said it was the sixth as well. <laughs> um, so uh, we know that um, on Friday, well Saturday morning our time, Ireland voted by landslide to liberalise some of the world's most restrictive abortion laws in what its Prime Minister described as the culmination of a quiet revolution in what was one of Europe's most socially conservative countries. I'll just play a little piece um, from 
that um, Irish result, and then we'll have a little bit more of a chat about um, you know some of the yes campaigners, and I guess how some of the no campaigners are feeling as well. people of Ireland have put their arms around the women of Ireland and said we have you, it's okay and makes me feel so proud and very, very, very emotional about it There was a lot of no undecided people and I think they must have decided yes in the end common sense prevailed, but humanity prevailed it's, it's a vote for, for humanity and human rights women's health care, yeah, I'm delighted I was expecting like, um, like 50-50, like a Brexit type situation but like, oh it's been just. I thought it was going to be really close. Like yeah. I really didn't think it was going to pass. And then last night was crazy. Uh, it feels amazing. There's a huge sense of relief um, in the country, and um, I think there's like a certain sense of pride as well that our small nation has kind of proved itself to be as progressive and as compassionate as we kind of hoped it was. I cried a lot. I didn't believe it. I was yeah. kind of holding out to like make sure it was really, really true. But uh, yeah, I cried a little bit too. <laughs> Yeah, like, by it being that amount, like, I thought it'd be very, very close, but seeing, like, the exit polls being 69% was insane. Yeah, it's amazing. And those of our listeners who would have uh, tuned in yesterday to the Wednesday Breakfast would have heard that, but I just wanted to play that again because um, I know last week... Uh, Stick Together's Matt Kunkel had caught, had caught up with uh, Hazel Nolan, who was uh, Britain's general union organiser, you know, regarding um, uh, the abortion clauses, and more than three million people registered to vote in that referendum. And according to the Irish Examiner newspaper, final provisional results showed that 66% of voters opted to repeal a constitutional amendment that in fact banned abortion in a vast majority of cases. So there were some of the people who were out there on the street, you could hear the wind in the, in the background, and um, it looks like, um, you know, uh, yeah, there's 60, 66, well, she said 69, that's still a pretty high amount of people. It's really high, and I think that the highest voting range of yes was women between 18 to 34 years yeah. old. So it's a really, it's a really great um, turnout. And, and it was interesting to hear the Prime Minister um who also campaigned to repeal 
uh, held the outcome as a sort of a once-in-a-generation vote, and that showed the electorate's concern for the next generation. You heard a woman there talking about, you know, she bought her daughter, like she literally only voted, well, she voted for herself, but also for her child's future mm. as well. Um, and it's, um, yeah, that, but no sooner had that uh, repeal been won, uh, there was a cry that went up, the north is next. Um, yes. You know, so, yeah. So that's the last region, I think, in the United Kingdom that is still has uh, illegal b- abortion laws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they talk about uh, Northern Ireland. Um, they've got uh, seemingly archaic abortion laws which require a different solution. Um, and the, the referendum, obviously, by no means... Uh, sorry, it's not the means to liberate the women of the North because it's not a constitutional issue there. And any vote for reform, reform, although likely to be a hearty yes, would not be legally binding, even if the current defunct Stormont Assembly were to return at some point in the future. So, yeah, like you hear it was an island, Irish referendum, but you forget that there's the North yeah. and, you know, the Republic of Ireland as well. Yeah. So um, they've got a long way to go. But the what is meant to be happening is... The government plans to bring in legislation by the end of the year. Yes. So that's that's some pretty good news. What else is happening mm-hmm. in the alternative news? I thought that was a, a really good one for us to cover yeah, because and it's th- huge, historic and I, vote. And I think it's still really relevant as well for Australian women mm. because we still have illegal abortion laws in some parts of the country. Yeah. So Victorian women um, might not know, or they probably do, but they might not know that women in South Australia, uh, sorry, New South Wales and Queensland can't access safe legal abortions. Yeah. Um, and so other states, the rest of Australia does have legal abortion up to certain times. So in Victoria, we're up to 24 weeks. Um, but yes, yeah, so we've still actually got a long way to go here in Australia to access safe medical and surgical abortions across yeah across the nation. So yeah. that's I guess it's still relevant for us to be talking about for women in Queensland and New South Wales that can't access safe abortion. Yeah, and it's um I didn't know that. Like yeah, so sort of I mean women in Queensland and New South Wales do access abortions, but their doctors Well, no, their doctors and and both the women risk uh, criminal prosecution okay. if anybody finds out. Yeah. Uh so I think women generally cross state lines to go and get abortion um, and they can access abortion in certain circumstances if there's medical risk yep. to the woman's health um, so yes it's still not a completely safe environment yeah, it's quite interesting how this legislation in Ireland will also be written mm. you know I think somewhere they were talking about 12 weeks 12 weeks but you know how does that then impact on people who are at medical risk or who have uh, you know an illness or something like that and mm. um, and the other thing that's been pretty big in the media is the uh, live sheep trade. Ah, uh, yes. So I think Labor's going to put forward a bill today, maybe Thursday. Um, for Everything happens on Thursday. Uh, it's a busy day. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there'll be a, a bill today or an amendment to a bill, sorry, that's going to be put to Parliament to end live sheep export. But it looks like it probably won't get up because there's not enough uh, Labor members today to vote on the floor and unless... Yeah, because of the by-elections that are coming yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Super so by-election <laughs> round, as they call it. Yeah. So if, unless Liberals cross the floor, which they probably won't, it most likely won't get up, but it's come in uh, after footage was released, I think, from an animal liberation group in Israel mm. of Australian um, cattle 
docking at a port in Israel and they were in very bad state. They were all quite sick and covered in feces um, and because temperatures had reached 44 plus degrees on the ship. Um, so, again, we've really got to push for government to ban live export. Mm. It's horrendous what animals go through in those conditions. Um, and so while the bill probably won't get up today, we need to keep pushing for this. And, and it's interesting. Uh, I was watching um, Dateline uh, on SBS and um, there's a young Australian um, vegan who is causing some, uh, you know, they're, they're calling him like a, a vegan vigilante or something like that. But what he's really doing is... Um, just really exposing the way that the animals are being treated and the live sheep trade, and, and he's based in the UK. But um, what do they call them? They're called vegan warriors or something like that. But they're really, <laughs> really meant to be extreme. Is is the reporting? You know, a lot of yeah. the farmers are saying, "Well, you guys are, are taking it too far, um, and you need to make sure that you deliver." Honest, honest truth, you know, like you don't just make up story scaremongering tactics mm-hmm. to, to make people make a decision. But it was really, yeah, it was really, um, insightful yeah. uh, on what happens in things like abattoirs and how these animals get treated. And a lot of us who eat meat don't have a clue what's happening and where our meat comes, comes from. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. A lot of the, a lot of the progress that's been made in the space of animal welfare and animal rights has been, um, from brave, young animal liberationists that usually risk their own, um, I guess, risk being prosecuted for breaking into places and taking footage of what's going on uh, because what goes on inside abattoirs uh, and factory farming is often really horrendous. And so I think that a lot of people, I, I think, don't like to be shown the realities of what they're eating and what they're wearing and so often put this stuff down to scaremongering and um, extreme tactics when really I think it exposes truths that people probably need to be aware of. Yeah, uh, it made me sort of question how much I ate once I sort of, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm a pro-animal lover by any means but just sort of see you know, how the Australian Meat Council came out and said, oh, well, we create 50,000 jobs. Well, that's because you're the largest um, exporter of life, of meat and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But then to see how horrendous these um, um, uh, animals are being treated, but then I guess also the environmental impact. You know, they were saying animal agriculture is responsible for roughly 18% of greenhouse gas emissions mm-hmm. and 80% of the world's deforestation. Um is it a selfish thing that people eat meat, you know, five days a week? Do we have to eat that much? People, you know, people who are vegetarian are surviving without having to yeah. worry about eating all that stuff. Yeah, talking to a, long, a long-term a long vegan here. So. Oh, okay. Well, I would so, just keep uh, <laughs> Look, I'm, I, I don't eat meat. Say that, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and talking about Reconciliation Week, there was a story also regarding the... Um, uh, Innovating in Indigenous housing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there was an article in the conversation by Kieran Wong that talked about, and it's a really interesting article. It looks at how there's been this push for innovation um, in creating Aboriginal housing that's often actually resulted in a lack of sustainability or unusable housing that's really, uh, you know, when governments come in and put up a whole bunch of houses that's 
in order to say win an election or to seem popular and that housing actually hasn't been uh, in consultation with local Aboriginal community groups um, and often ends up being uh, not used and discarded uh, and that actually there's people that you know, out there, groups out there saying and architects out there saying, look, we have models for really sustainable housing that are really user-friendly mm. and long-term and are in line with, um, you know, the many, many reports that have come out over decades around yeah. Aboriginal housing. And, and, and those reports highlighting the lack of progress. Yes. You know, since the apology to the Stolen Generations decades ago. Exactly, yeah. and they, so they haven't actually really changed what they're saying in the last um, few decades, and yeah. that the research and the evidence is all there on what needs to be done, and yet uh, inappropriate housing still is put up in local Aboriginal communities. Uh, and, I mean, I'm guessing um, housing itself is not a specific target um, you know, like safe, appropriate and affordable housing is, is acknowledged to be a fundamental building block for improving the well-being of Aboriginal people and closing the gap of many in the target indicators. We still need to have proper housing to start, don't we? Like it might not be necessarily, you know, housing is the specific, there's so many target mm-hmm. areas, but as a, as a building block, you need somewhere for people to feel safe and have a house and then everything else like health can improve exactly. and education and things like that. Housing is so imperative and it comes up often in all kinds of research mm. around all groups that yeah, experience right. marginalisation, yeah. which is housing is primary. We need a safe place to live before we can uh, concentrate on what else is going on in our life. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's our alternative news. What we'll try and do is um, go to a few community announcements. Just the, the biggest community announcement is oh, yeah. 3CR's Radiothon coming up from the 4th to the 17th of June. Um, this year we need to raise some funds to keep 3CR on the air, so help us out by putting aside your coins or cash and donating during our appeal week from the 4th to the 17th of June. Um, our... Um, Radiothon show will be the second week. Yes, that's um, right. I think it's the... Is it the 7th? No, it's not the 17th because that's 14, a Sunday. 14th is a Thursday. I think it's the 14th. 14th yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That's a friend of mine's <laughs> birthday. Um, and we love hearing from our listeners during our annual Radiothon appeal. Please tune in from the 4th to the 17th of June and show us some love by pledging your support to 3CR, Thursday Breakfast and other shows. <laughs> and like, like that plug? <laughs> and other shows. We'll be back in just a moment. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids And come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Imagine having no income, no wear rights, and no idea what your future holds. For thousands of people seeking asylum, this is their reality. Families are struggling to feed their children, and some are sleeping on our streets. 
A donation to the Asylum Seeker Resource Center provides food, shelter, and health care. Just $21 feeds a family for one week. Text the word HELP to 0475-444-555 to donate. The Asylum Seeker Resource Center is a 3CR supporter. The Green Left Weekly Comedy Debate is back. We live in a time of crisis, of impending doom and the fear of nuclear war. But we still need to laugh. This year, comedians will debate the very real question. Will Trump tweet us into oblivion? Join Master of Ceremonies Rod Quantock for a sparkling night of progressive comedy featuring Sean Bedlam, Pauline Farts on Hellchild, Kirsty Mack, Gabe Hogan, Frank Hamster, Morvan Smith and more. Tickets are $50 Solidarity, $30 Regular, $22 Low Waged and $12 Concession. There'll be a bar and the opportunity to buy a delicious dinner. Saturday, June 16, 6.30pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. Will Trump tweet us into oblivion? A fundraiser for the radical newspaper Green Left Weekly. Bookings are essential, phone 9639 8622 or go to trybooking.com forward slash VBYO. Green Left Weekly is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. Over the weekend of May the 11th to May the 18th, Friends of the Earth and Energy Justice Victoria held an Energy Justice road trip. It was a fun and educational weekend that travelled throughout East Gippsland. Talking about the Energy Justice road trip and also the, uh, the new campaign Energy Justice Victoria, we've got Ziana Fuad. Ziana is the coordinator of Quick Coal Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne and has volunteered with Quick Coal for five years throughout the Gasfield Free campaign and is now working with the collective for the new campaign, Energy Justice Victoria. Welcome, Ziana. Thank you. So do you want to start telling us about the weekend? So what happened over May the 11th to 13th? Yeah, so we wanted to um, create a weekend where we would go throughout Gippsland through some key communities that are affected by the way our energy system is designed and basically just have a listening tour, just connecting um, with people in the Latrobe Valley. So we first visited the Earthworker factory, um, which is the first work-owned factory in Victoria, trying to make renewable manufacturing parts. And then we connected with some other like local activists and ex-coal workers in the valley to have like a casual Q&A, listening to you know, their journey from the kind of brown coal economy to the green economy and their views on the vision for the valley. And then the next day we went um, to around Monthaggy, where they're putting renewable energy into the old state coal mine. And then we finished off with a community forum in Monthaggy um, trying to talk about issues around energy poverty and renewable energy in the area to um, try and give people like alternatives um, around energy efficiency in their homes but also trying to like co- collect more stories for our vision of how we want our new energy system to look for the 21st century. So it, it would have been really interesting because you said that you talked to some uh, former coal workers um, and I guess people that would have been involved previously in industries that were um, very resource intensive, but you said now potentially working in activist spaces, is that correct? Or they've just sort of um, got different views on what's going on with energy use in Victoria? So how, how did that go about? Yeah, I think that's what we all really took from the weekend was like the realisation that people within the communities are very aware of like 
the kind of lifeline of coal and that, that it's ending and the kind of recognition that from when they first got in, into the industry maybe 10 or 20 years ago, they knew that it was ending. And so um, they really talked about the ripples from the privatisation of the energy system and what a huge impact that's had on the community and how with the end of the kind of state electricity commission, it became the end of a vision as a community and then it became, you know, private. So there was profit-based and short-term goals. And so they're really keen to, like, breathe life back into the community by, like, planning into the future again. And that's like through community projects and community renewable energy projects. And um, there's so much going on. It's so inspiring to see that the community knows what's best for them, of course. And it kind of made it clear that a lot of the barriers are political. Um, and they really want to design ways that like, they can you know, address the social issues in the community as well as the environmental problems together. Yeah, and it's interesting that you said that a lot of the issues are political when there's sort of an idea, I guess, maybe in the general public and through what the media presents is that people that care about the environment are somehow different from people that work in resource industries and actually, as you've just sort of said, that's a misconception from what's going on in the ground in communities. Yeah, totally. And I think they really suffer from certain representations and a lot of people, a lot of communities do that are seen as disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. And there are problems, you know, like there's unemployment and everything like that. But those representations are not constructive. And um, it's really important that we listen to the visions that they have um, for the future. And also, yeah, I think that everyone inherently wants their area to be protected, whether that's the environment and their communities and, you know, it doesn't work to create divisions about who cares about looking after the planet or not. Yeah. And what were some of the, I guess, the ideas that came out of what people were telling you? So uh, you spoke about, what was the work? Earthworker Factory. Earthworker Factory, thank you. So was that a kind of an idea that's quite recent or a concept that's quite recent? So what are some of the things that the community members were talking about and the initiatives they wanted to undertake? Yeah, there was actually a great show on 3CR about the Earthworker um, on Dirt, Dirt Radio for the hour-long special. But they're um, like Earthworkers trying to build cooperatives across Australia, and this is like the first tangible like um, evidence of that in that it's a factory in the Latrobe Valley that's um, manufacturing solar hot water tanks, and it's a way to like start, you know building the transition to 100, 100% renewables by also addressing the social issues in the area, so creating local jobs that are long-term in a cooperative way, so keeping control within the community, which is something that we see as like really important in addressing climate change, is that we bring like public and democratic control back into the energy space. So mm-hmm. people have, um, yeah, from the generation and, and the retail as well. And were there other similar initiatives going on in the community? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of talk happening around community retailers, so trying to like um, get between our energy and corporate profits, so trying to get clean, fair and affordable energy for everyone, like really grassroots community energy retailers that would be giving people energy at, at cost price and that would be renewable energy. So we really want to work with those communities to help support those plans. And then the next day in Montagui, we saw how, like, 
um, the state coal mine, which is seen as this kind of legacy, and um, people are quite proud of their coal history, which yeah. is valid. It's quite um, an important part of what birthed them into life, the community. Sorry, which coal mine, which coal mine is this? This is in Monthaggy. What's it called? It's the state coal mine. Oh, state coal mine. Yeah. Hazelwood's a bit different. That's in Morewell, is yeah, that right? Yeah, that's in Morewell, okay. and that's shut down. That is shut down. Yeah. This was a smaller one and a bit earlier, so they have a whole museum. But they've decided, and the museum uses a lot of energy, so a local group there wants to bring renewables and solar into the museum to power it, but also kind of not just look back into the past, but use the renewable energy and the kind of um, information around that to look forward and, and have this kind of meeting ground of the past and the future together. That sounds great. Yeah. And so overall, how did it, how'd the weekend go? How many people came along? We had about 15. Oh, a few, that's fantastic. Yeah, lots yeah. dropped out from the common cold oh, at this yeah. time of the year. <laughs> but it was really nice to travel with a small group and quite bonding to have all different kinds of people, all different ages, that were just interested in listening to people and their stories. And so, yeah, we hope to do it every year. So how will then the road trip inform the work? So maybe start off by telling us what the campaign is and then how the, uh, this will inform the work that that campaign does. Yeah, so our collective ran the Gas Field Free campaign for five years, which won the permanent yeah. ban on unconventional gas. Fantastic. So then we were, <laughs> thank you, we were, think, we were kind of dreaming up the new vision and we came up with this campaign with the recognition that we need a rapid transition away from coal for the health of communities but also for climate change. But that's not the only problem. Like our whole energy system needs reworking. We don't want um, corporate companies profiteering off our energy. Um, you know, there's energy poverty is on the rise in Victoria. We pay some of the highest electricity bills in the world. Disconnections are increasing. And so we kind of want, yeah, an ambitious plan to completely, like, revolutionise the energy system and doing that through pushing, like, public and democratic control of energy. So I guess our major asks are, like, support community retailers so you can have really bottom-up, beautiful grassroots, peer-to-peer energy exchanges. And then also, like, we want the government to come out and create a not-for-profit, 100% renewable retailer. Um, So people, like, a wide range of people, especially people on concession cards and stuff, can get access to renewable energy cheaply. Yeah. And... Energy poverty, that might be a new term for a lot of people. Uh, And I've heard of uh, environmental justice and issues where um, the way that the environment is used and impacted therefore impacts on the social justice of people or the the social lives. Mm. Uh, What's energy poverty? There's a few definitions of it, but it's basically um, when people pay a disproportionate amount on their energy compared to their other like costs of living. So maybe people that pay too much for the energy bills or can't actually afford to pay their energy bills. The term that came up in the UK around fuel poverty, and it's a huge issue over there, especially in their winters. And we even see it in Melbourne, like throughout summer and winter, there are deaths because people are unable to power their homes in the right way. How does then kind of campaigning or raising awareness around uh, energy justice, particularly in Victoria and domestically and globally, how do campaigns like this address energy poverty? The ask that we have is to create that government not-for-profit retailer. So instead of um, corporations being able to put a profit on energy, and sometimes the markups are at 13%, 
Um, we want the government to basically intervene and prioritise people getting energy before profits. So, like, it's a vital service, something that we see as a human right. And um, we think that everyone should be supported in accessing renewable energy that's, that's affordable. Friends of the Earth has done a lot of work, of, of course, around energy justice for a very long time. So this new campaign will be run out of Friends of the Earth, is that right, or is it...? Yeah, so it's the new campaign for the Quick Coal Collective, which is one of the main campaigns in um, Friends of the Earth Melbourne. So if people want to get involved in campaigning with you, how would they go about it? We have meetings every Wednesday night at 6pm upstairs at Friends of the Earth. You can also check out Energy Justice Victoria on our website and just follow our events there um, for different things that we'll be doing. That was Ziana Fouad, coordinator of the Quick Coal Elect- uh, Collective, sorry, and um, which is based at Friends of the Earth Melbourne, talking about the energy justice road trip that happened two, three weeks ago now. Yeah, it was on um, the 11th of May till the 13th of May. Yes. Might go to a quick track before we get to our next guest. <laughs> Thank you. 
song that's almost well well over 30 years old from the joshua tree by you two called running to stand still it's just a little cover there um it's time now to introduce our next guest i mentioned earlier that um uh each each year on may the 26th there is national sorry day which is an australia-wide observance um, held and I guess today it gives people the chance to come together and share some of the steps towards healing for the stolen generations, their families and communities. Um, stolen generations refer to Indigenous Australians, obviously we know who were for- forcibly removed from their um, families and communities and around this time each year we also have uh, Reconciliation Week. And what I thought we might do is, um, yeah, have a chat to um, uh, Reconciliation Victoria's um, during this Reconciliation Week. They've also got a program running, which is called the Heart Awards, and it's called and Heart stands for Helping Achieve Reconciliation Together. Um, to find out a little bit more about the role of Reconciliation Victoria um, and the Heart Awards, we are joined by statewide coordinator. Erin McKinnon. Good morning, Erin. 
morning, Dean. Thanks for joining us on 3CR. A bit long-winded there, <laughs> my introduction. <laughs> um, so I mentioned there, um, I was talking about really the Sorry Day and, and why it's held on May the 26th um, each year, and then also Reconciliation Week. Um, and I was, I, I was sort of trying to work out what um, reconciliation is. Um, I was wondering, do, would you have a little bit of an insight into how you describe reconciliation, the word itself, in this context? Yeah, happy to. It is complex. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Are, yeah, different people have have their own different interpretations of it, and um, I think it's got a bit of uh, negative baggage over the years with the way it's been used and misused by government. So um, we're trying hard to articulate our own approach uh, to differentiate from, from some of the other approaches that um, look a bit more like assimilation than reconciliation, I mm. think. Um, but our vision at Reconciliation Victoria is, is to create a Victorian identity that reflects our true history, that values Aboriginal culture and that ensures self-determination and equitable outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Victoria. In terms of the, what it looks like, um, we're drawing on a framework of reconciliation that was developed looking at Canada, South Africa, New Zealand, uh, and drawing on the reconciliation experiences overseas uh, to come up with a, with a framework of five interrelated dimensions of what's required to achieve reconciliation. Mm. Uh, this was part of a State of Reconciliation report in 2016. Those dimensions are addressing historical injustice uh, and there's a lot of work to be done in that space. We had the <coughs> Royal Commission into Aboriginal Death and Custody over 25 years ago. Many of the recommendations not um, followed up. The Bringing Them Home report, Stolen Generations, Child Removal, again, the apology that was delivered 10 years ago was only one of 54 recommendations. Many of the others... Uh, have not been implemented, including um, reparations for survivors and their families. Um, so historical injustice is, is a key dimension that I think we're really lagging behind on. Um, race relations, uh, we know racism is a huge issue in this country and we don't do enough to address it. Equality and equity, uh, which is where the sort of close the gap campaign would fit in. Uh, mm. But for us, that's about... Uh, taking a self-determination approach uh, rather than governments continually doing for um, Aboriginal people, which we know doesn't work. Institutional integrity, which looks like accountability of governments and others who uh, say they're working towards reconciliation to really be open and honest about their approaches and their and outcomes. And finally, unity, uh, <clears throat> which for us looks like uh, a, a treaty or Makarata peacemaking process um, a treaty and healing in this country, which really can only happen when we're doing all those other things as well. So that's a long-winded answer as well, and um, apologies for my croaky voice, but that's sort of um, how complex the picture is. It's not just about Aboriginal employment or not just about closing the gap. And, um, mm. There's a lot of work to be done. And, and, and I think you touched on the other one there, unity. And, with you know, you mentioned the five d dimensions of reconciliation. The one that... Uh, you would think a lot of people have got their head around that unity aspect, which is things like um, overcoming racism and understanding 
the power relations, you know. So zero tolerance for racism across the community, strong cultural awareness, and, and I guess some um, competence within organisations and communities, which sort of um, brings us back to really, um, you know, I think the theme for this year's um, Reconciliation Week is Don't Keep History a Mystery, Learn, Share and Grow, which explores, the, I guess, the history hidden just beneath the surface as well. That's right, and I'm really pleased that theme this year. Um, Aboriginal people, uh, I've often heard say um, sentiment along the lines of how can we move forward without knowing where we've come from, uh, and yet um, Colonial Australia has been very keen to only look forward and, and not look back. So I think it's really important for for healing and <clears throat> developing um, respectful relationships that we do look back and acknowledge and listen to um the true history of the country and the experiences of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Uh, and also, I think, as a non-Aboriginal person, I'm fifth generation Scottish and Irish <coughs> um, Australian, and it's really important that we look at our own family histories and how our people came to be on this country, uh, because all of our stories are connected with the, with the stories of the first peoples of the country. I think it really, um, if we could find some common ground... Uh, by looking at uh, how we all came to be here, that was gone a long way to helping the conversation and the, and the relationship. And, and and I guess in in, in your <laughs> role, then you're involved in in facilitating a lot of these activities across the state, and and being um, you know able to enable organisations and groups undertaking reconciliation activities to, yeah, I guess develop and share that understanding of, of meaningful reconciliation. Yeah, we, there's been a network of uh, local community groups um, committed to reconciliation across the forest for a long time, uh, the 90s, and the, there were originally prayer circles for reconciliation, and then it developed into, into um, advocacy and learning circle groups um, during the decades of reconciliation. A lot of those groups continue today uh, running events and activities in their local towns and suburbs around the state to try to increase the uh, understanding and awareness of the non-Aboriginal community about Aboriginal history and culture and uh, create opportunities for <clears throat> that understanding and, and respect to be developed. So Reconciliation Week is a key time um, in the year for those events and activities. And uh, we have seen, I've been working with Reconciliation Victoria for the last eight years, and we have seen year on year a, a steady growth in that engagement across Victoria. And compared to other states, I think, you know, we'd, we really are on the track and more and more people are interested um, to be involved and committed. Reconciliation Week uh, for us is the time for non-Aboriginal people to step up and take responsibility for their part uh, in the reconciliation process and journey, educate themselves, educate others and uh, really listen to the voices of Aboriginal people uh, and we're very encouraged to see that happening at events around the state this week. Uh, it looks like to us it could be around 200 events um, in Victoria alone. So uh, the grassroots reconciliation movement is is alive and well. Um, political leadership is sometimes lacking, but we're also really pleased that Victoria seems to be in a different space than the other states at the moment with talking about uh, self-determination and a treaty-making process with Aboriginal Victorians. So I think it's a, we're hopeful, it's opti- we're optimistic that things are moving forward in Victoria. Erin, following on from that, uh, 
talking about what, you know, things that have been happening in the community and working towards reconciliation. And you just mentioned then that Victoria's in, uh, I guess, moving forward in, you know, in trying to create it or talking about a treaty. Uh, what are some of the other things that, I guess, local governments and, and particularly maybe state government has done or how they work with reconciliation, Victoria? Um, yeah, we've worked quite closely with the local government sector um, over years and there has been a huge growth in um, <clears throat> the awareness of local councils uh, that this is an area that they have responsibility for and also can take leadership in. Um, that looks like a lot of symbolic gestures over the past decade of, for example, flying Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags at town halls and council buildings uh, incorporating acknowledgement of country protocols into events. But it has moved on from that for some councils now with um, meaningful approaches to, to partnerships with Aboriginal organisations and communities. And that's really what the Heart Awards um, is, showcases. There's two categories for the Heart Awards, local government and community organisations. And the finalists this year and in previous years in the local government category really show what's possible when a council is committed uh, to to a meaningful approach to reconciliation with their local Aboriginal community. Um, I went to an event in Fitzroy on Saturday uh, for Sorry Day, which was um, the unveiling of a memorial to the Stolen Generation, Remember Me, and that demonstrates um, City of Yarra uh, and with their partners, their commitment to... Um, move forward and take uh, deeper actions and a deeper approach and they've shown a lot of leadership in that area uh, over the years. But <clears throat> there's a huge spectrum. We have other councils in rural or regional areas <coughs> not doing enough and, um, yeah, we we look forward to that sort of um, momentum building and growing right across the state. And the Heart Awards, um, it's obviously H-A-R-T, which is helping achieve reconciliation together they've been running now you know for for four years and and obviously each year you've seen that improvement from the token um sort of gestures of having the indigenous flag up and uh Torres Strait Islander flags um this this year your announcement is done tomorrow um who are some of the finalists in terms of uh, the two categories that you've got there and who should we sort of I guess you know be uh, looking at as an inspiration towards what they're doing for Indigenous causes. Yeah, great. Uh, tomorrow is the fifth uh, annual Heart Awards presentation at Corrigan Institute, and we've got some fantastic projects um, that are finalists again this year that we are showcasing. And it's great that every year we see um, a regional spread and not just uh, Melbourne-based projects. Um, some of the great projects I've seen this year come from uh, City of Darabin who have um, really taken a comprehensive approach to cultural awareness with their staff and counsellors. Um, City of Greater Shepparton have partnered on a fantastic street art project. Um, there was the launch of two more murals, uh, full wall-size murals of local Aboriginal identities in Shepparton this week. Uh, another great project. Uh, City of Glenara is a finalist. For the Reconciliation Action Program, um, which is really, excuse me, trying to take a comprehensive approach to 
um, recreation awareness with their staff, but, but then growing that into the broader community. Um, there's some great community organisations nominated too for things like um, cultural events and festivals, but the Lake Bolac Eel Festival uh, is nominated in the community engagement category, which has grown over the years to really um, put Aboriginal culture at the heart of that event, um, and uh, it's a wonderful demonstration of, of what's possible when local people are committed to, to reconciliation. A reconciliation walk on the Mornington Peninsula, uh, an arts project, um, uh, East Franchise nominated for, for a wonderful video they produced, which is like a welcome to country cultural awareness um, that they can show to at events and, and to staff. Yeah, there's some really wonderful examples in there. And the Heart Awards is all about shining a light on these local reconciliation stories to acknowledge and celebrate them and also to provide inspiration for others to follow suit and, and take up the challenge. Well, um, Erin, thank you. I was quite surprised to hear you say the, the city of Glen Ira. You know, living in the city of Jarabin, you always think the west and the north are the only people that care. But, you know, to hear a council which includes places like uh, Caulfield, um, yeah, it's quite inspiring, you know, for, for those types of communities. You know, we always think people on the other side of the Yarra don't really have much going for them. I'm just generalising. But um, thank you for joining us on TCI and let's try and make sure that... Um, yeah, we keep that voice of yours um, intact for tomorrow. Yeah, thanks, Dean. I'm actually speaking at an event, at an event today in Swan Hill, so I'd better um, be quiet enough <laughs> for the next couple of hours. Get and on there. I just encourage people to have a look at our new website, reconciliationfix.org.au. It's got uh, a link there to the calendar of events happening this week. I really encourage people to try to get along to something. There's lots happening. And just take the time to learn more um, and continue your own reconciliation journey with the information on our website. And, yeah, the idea, obviously, this year, more importantly, is, is being able to highlight some of the lesser-known aspects of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander histories, cultures and, and achievements. So, And I guess to prompt all Australians to ask themselves, what are some of the things I don't know about, as you said earlier, um, our shared history, not only the Indigenous history, but obviously the, the, the migrants who have come over here and the role that Indigenous people have had um, in, in their involvement in the Australian lifestyle. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Erin, and thanks for joining us. And that was um, Erin McKinnon, who is the Statewide Coordinator Reconciliation Victoria, talking to us about, yeah, Rec Vic and the Heart Awards. What we might do is go to a track. A track? Yeah. We're going to play a real fave at the moment, Um, Baker Boy, who's from northeast Arnhem Land. I think he might be living down here in Melbourne at the moment, but we're going to play his newest track, uh, which is a real fun one, called Mr. La-di-da. I don't need no butler cleaning cutleries. Never found me sleeping under muddy trees. Never power tripping trying to find a seat. Cause love and heavy fun is always funding me. And I don't envy millionaires who drop a million, a couple million stairs. I'm just high in life, I just might keep it hundred cause they turn out to light. Got me feeling like damn, that me out, got action. Walking on the feet with the fashion. God damn, all real, no plastic. Bad boy, black magic. God damn, not breaking a sweat. Walking with the bounce in my step. God damn. Who the man? 
Remember, nine of a special day for us, brothers. As a reminder, who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy Nadoff! Time is ticking. Spend two minutes to save public housing in Victoria. This week, email david.davis at parliament.vic.gov.au. Ring him on 98276655 and tell him to support the motion to block the government's public housing renewal program planning amendment. For more info, emails and phone numbers, see the Public Housing Defence Network's Facebook page. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. Just before we heard Mr. Ladida 
by uh, Baker Boy. So such a great track. Um, this week marks the 10th anniversary of the National Apology to the Stolen Generation. However, 10 years on, how much has changed? In 2017, an estimated 17,664 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children were living in out-of-home care. Grandmothers Against Removals is a community group that started in 2014 by First Nations community members that were directly affected by child removals. To talk to us about this issue from Grandmothers Against Removals, we are joined on the uh, line this morning by Christine Nyungware Palmer. Christine has a long history of working in Aboriginal welfare organisations and has provided evidence to the Royal Commission into Protection and Detention of Children in Northern Territory. Christine uh, will talk about her work with Grandmothers Against Removals and about Reconciliation Week. Welcome, Christine. Good morning and thank you for this opportunity. Firstly, I'd like to um, acknowledge the Aboriginal people um, of the Wiradjuri mob and all Aboriginal um, grandmothers and peoples who's listening out there this morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you, Christine. Uh, So Grandmothers Against Removals has had a busy week this week, meeting with government. Um, What demands or what has been happening for Grandmothers Against Removals this week? Well... It was very interesting. We we met with our Aboriginal ministers and they really couldn't um, commit to anything. We then went and met with um, Indigenous Minister Scullion and he has has given us um, agreed um, to meet all delegations, you know, in, in our own communities. And he has also um, will make arrangements for him and Northern Territory Minister Dale Wakel to meet with us with our um, demands in, in Alice Springs. That's great. And what are some of the demands of the group? Of the group? Of Grandmothers Against Removals. Yeah. Um, we, we, we said that Australian government must be made accountable and for all the damage they have done. And we, as Aboriginal people, need to step now, step up now and say no more. Their trust has been broken over and over again and they must allow us to work together to keep our kids safe at home. Our law, culture and kinship system must be respected and supported. But some of the um, demands, well, we as First Nations grandmother... We demanded no adoption of our children and it was appalling to hear that four of our um, Aboriginal children already have been adopted and and that is far too many. We need um, the government to um, like end the institutionalisation of our children in all forms, like no more removals, no more imprisonment. Restore all removed and imprisoned children to their families Give First Nations communities control of our welfare so we can keep families together through culturally appropriate. Um, we need um, therapeutic services to support healing and this will end in a pipeline from the appropriate trauma informed, you know. Mm. Um, child protection system through to juvenile justice and the adult criminal justice system. Um, 
overhaul of the child protection, juvenile justice and all related systems that target our families and violate the rights of children every day, properly address the false failures and criminal activity that face these systems. And this means holding government, non-government and individual perpetrators accountable for any physical, psychological and sexual abuse of children in care and sometimes resulting in death. Overhauling the processes used to assess family members as carers and make decisions about family contact to ensure genuine compliance with the Aboriginal Child Placement Principle. These decisions must be determined by the families and communities that know how to keep their children safe and cared for. So we presented these demands to the Australian Government and that we are the only ones who can make sure our children are safe. And our people have run our own programs for our communities that have succeeded from for generations. We have shown the First Nations community control works. We will keep fighting for our children and build up to a national gathering on the 11th anniversary of the apology to the stolen generation on 13th of February 2019. So in Saying all that, we did um, meet with our Northern Territory Families Minister and we demanded, before we came down, how many children in care, how many children in detention, how many of those children are on the land, how many residential care houses, how many children in each house, how many in kinship care, how many children have been taken into state. And that was appalling to hear too. Our children are still taken into, you know, moving with um, a non-Indigenous family into other states. And we also need the, to know the ratio of staff to children. Chris, Christine and Steen here. I know um, earlier in the year uh, the Law Reform Commission was calling... Um, for a halt to soaring numbers of, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people being sent to prison. Um, and, and they were calling on, you know, all governments to work together through, um, I think it's COAG, Council of Australian Governments. Mm-hmm. What role can COAG play? I mean, it's, as you say, it seems like, you know, th- the issues that you've raised with government um, are still happening, and but yet there's this government body which is meant to be looking after your interests, but it seems like nothing is moving forward. I'm, I was at a rally one day in, in Central Australia and I heard somebody say that we have a, a real toxic state and I like that line and that word because we do have a toxic state and all the non-Indigenous people no matter what sector they work in, within the government, non-government, they come with this mentality that they can treat us any way they can. And we're tired of all that. We need to take control. We have... And what you're asking is that we need to sit down with somebody in COAC to, to, to have an honest conversation a true conversation as human beings because our human rights has been played with with so many times and we need to start sitting down with honest people. 
yeah. and being able to have that statewide identity, isn't it? Like the the, the sovereignty of Aboriginal people should be recognised by all, and I guess the significance of self determination should be recognised and valued. And that's right. That's right. And, and that's what we want to um, instil into our children. You know. Yeah. And speaking of children, Christine. Um, how has Grandmothers Against Removals been working in the space of youth imprisonment? Well, we have to keep an eye on what's happening then. Yeah. I went out there the other day in Alice Springs, the juvenile detention there. Um, it's like a, a ten, there's a limited um, bed there for, for, for those youth. Well, it's busting at the seam. We don't know where those kids are sleeping, you know, um, on, on mattresses on, on floor or whatever. So that's one of the main things that we're going to be looking at. Um, we want to find out who's in them. We want to check to see if they got ochre card that everyone has to have when they work in the children. Because in the past we've had, you know, um, um, people on working holiday and this is true. You know, people go on working holidays. Their their aunties or uncles may be in senior positions. So they say, well, come up here, I'll give you a job. So we need to keep a really tight rein on who's being employed as well. Um, it's only a little um, space in, in, in where the juvenile detention is. They've kind of gave a quarter or corner of that little block. Um, they've put in two demandables for the girls. Um, we're going back to, um, in full force to go and with the minister to have a, really have a look at that little yard with so many of our mob in there, of our kids are in there. And those kids are, are, haven't even been, um, they're only on remand. They haven't, um, been committed uh, or charged with anything. And instead of them sitting there, you know, and getting, mistreated and abused, well, they could get back with a, a kinship, you know, family family members or back with family. Mm. And because there's been so much, well, I mean, this has been an issue for many, many decades now, uh, but there's been com- particular controversy in the last couple of weeks around um, really negative comments being made about the stolen generation and a new stolen generation, some really horrible stuff that's come out in the media. And it's why it's so important at the moment, particularly in Reconciliation Week, to start talking about or to continue talking about that young people, young Aboriginal people are still being removed from their homes, even though people think the stolen generation is over. Well, that's what I thought, you know. It really, um, I had to really listen to the GMAs and, and I didn't you know, realise I'm behind the eight ball. You know, I did not realise that our children were taken from their families and put into non-Indigenous families. And I heard with our meeting with our Northern Territory Family Minister, she was saying that the non-Indigenous carers are making decisions like, well, I don't think they should go back to their family, so I'm going to keep them. Now, who gives them the right mm. to keep our kids? So we need to get on top of that statement, and that's something that we're going to be doing in Alice Springs. We're going to be um, 
be assessing many services in Alice Springs, and I want to start around the courthouse where it's all messy, very messy, just around the courthouse where there's a lot of new youth services and youth workers are there and they're popping up, you know, with new names that I'm not familiar with. And they're all there running around with this child, not talking to family, grandmothers that's in the courthouse, or, 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 or not even using an interpreter to explain what's happening. So there's a lot of stuff that we need to go back and assess what's happening with our children. And then we will start jotting down all the stuff that we have gathered because nobody's doing it. And so Grandmothers Against Removals, is a lot of their work based in Alice Springs? Because it seems that you move around the country a bit because this week you're in Canberra, but is it mainly in Alice? Well, it will be in Alice, but... Some of the um, grandmothers around Tennant Creek and remote communities have seen us on TV, they've heard our our interviews, and now they want to come on board. So we will be looking forward and having and inviting all grandmothers around the central region to a meeting to explain what we need to do and what has been um talked about up to now. Uh, Christine, you, you, you've obviously been working in this space for a long time. Um, we were just speaking to Erin um, here in Victoria here from Reconciliation Victoria and she was talking about the sort of the, the what she believes or what her organisation believes are the five dimensions of reconciliation um, and all of them seem to have uh, the, the common theme and the common theme seems to be um, achievement of equity or essentially achievement of self-determination. I guess the question that I'm asking you is what scares local governments and what scares wide Australia, excuse the word, um, to let you uh, determine your own future? What, why is self-determination so hard for people to accept for, for Indigenous people in your point of view? Aboriginal people, no matter, you know, across the nation, we have a beautiful kinship system and that is not recognised through the government or any government agency. We need to embed our children into, with culture, Mm. with survival skills. And only we can do that we can take them back to country, fill the children with the culture of knowledge, show them how to survive in the bush, finding water in dry creek beds, you know, by digging soaking, looking at what seasonal bush foods around and bush medicine, and for them to identify tribal boundaries, tribal groups, and mainly to express themselves, for them to relax on country, allowing country to fill them and we need for them to start respecting themselves by, and by sitting quietly and, and respect himself, respect to everyone around them and respect to country. Those things government can't do. Mm. Or any agencies. Yeah. We as grandmothers, there are certain 
trees and animals and how to break up and and what we can use mm. by cooking, you know, our, our native animals. You've got to learn how to cut it up. You don't just go over and, and, and disrespect an animal. These are the things that we can do as grandmothers. Well, you are essentially the library. Yes, <laughs> and exactly. And our um, old people, you know, older, our, we got to get them up and running because they've got a very important role as well and to continue watching over us and making sure we're doing the right thing. And this is important also not just for young people but for all Aboriginal people and also non Aboriginal Australia as well to recognise that there's really great healing to be done um, when First Nations people heal. And that's right, and we can only do that on country. And and we've got to strip down the fear that a lot of people have. Our Aboriginal people have to um, walk around with this fear and anybody um, with a white skin thinking their boss, you know, that... Um, where anybody can come along and say something to any of our old people or young people and 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 demand things, and because of the fear of the consequences, we have to break that down. We have to allow them to start looking at they have human rights as well. Christine, thank you so much for talking with us today. I wanted, just before we head off, I wanted... Um, to allow you to uh, mention how people can get involved. So you you said that there's going to be a meeting um, for all the people living in Central Australia uh, coming up soon. But if people are really interested in getting involved, and especially First Nations grandmothers all around Australia, how can they get in touch with you? Well, we have a Facebook page, but I, I would encourage all the grandmothers around the nation to stay strong, black and deadly, and to start working within their own community and start assessing what um, government and non-government organisations are not doing for our children. We will be back in um, Canberra in six months' time and we want to fill um, the Aboriginal Embassy and go up to in full force with all grandmothers, all from all nations and tribal groups in in Australia. We've got a lot of work to do and government has to listen. Has to listen to us. Because we are the we are the answers to our problems. Well, good luck. I, I think that's really exciting. I think that the work Grandmothers Against Removals are doing is amazing. So that Facebook group is um, if you just search for uh, at gmar.grandmothersagainstremovals. It comes up. I had a look last night, so you'll find <laughs> it pretty easy. Um, thank you so much, Christine, for talking uh, with us this morning about what Grandmothers Against Removals are doing and also about what is happening currently for young Aboriginal people in this country. And one of the, um, before you go, I spoke to Minister Scullion in regards to the um, ex-Dondale detainees, especially up in Darwin. I visited up there and and I told him that the prison officers over there is mistreating and abusing um, and that has to stop. So what he um, um, stated that he will get in touch with 
our Chief Minister up in the Northern Territory, Michael Gunner, and have a word with him. And I will make sure, follow that up and see what the outcome of that conversation would be, would look like as well. So we've got to keep... Um, keep the momentum up. Yes, because those little fellas, you know, ex-John Dave detainees in there, they, you know, they've never had any... Um, debriefing after the Four Corners report. Mm. They did not um, respect them as well, you know, um, and they needed healing. They still need healing, mm. and that's something that the grandmothers will... Will be will, providing um, for them. Yes, and we'll get the um, top-end grandmothers to start looking at um, what they can do for those young fellows as well. Christine, thank you for joining us on 3CR, and you... Stay strong, black and deadly. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And that was Christine Palmer. That was Christine Palmer. Thank you. That was so great to speak with Christine. Yeah. I think we're going to have a quick yeah, track quick before. Track. Um, we're going to play, just because we can and we, we love Baker Boy, we're going to play another Baker Boy track called Mariuna featuring Yuramal. <laughs> I'm a proud black killer boy with a killer flow. Listen to the year that he listen to it blow. For the boys who avoid all the way from my land, you're a boy, you need to laugh with that. You think I'm a little ball and double for gold. Don't put it on your magic gold. Now put a job there, now put a rip for gold. While I'm a man with Jim, I'm a man of a man. Rip for rip for me to go. Don't put it on my chin and your gold. Trick is my own survival mode. Human brain, where is weapon in the globe? Child sustained education, all these are standing on everyone's shoulders. Teaching yourself as you get older and older.
You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. It's just on 8.28. We're almost out of time. So we just heard another track from Baker Boy Marijuana featuring Yuramal. Um, and so his EP is out at the moment. You should check it out. So today, or this morning on the show, first off we spoke to, or we heard from Ziana Fuad, coordinator of Quick Coal Collective at Friends of the Earth. And then at 7.45, we spoke with Erin McKinnon, the statewide coordinator at Reconciliation Victoria. And then we spoke just before with Christine Palmer from Grandmothers Against Detention, and she spoke about all of the amazing work that they were doing at the moment with federal good. government. Yeah, yeah, she was fantastic. Um, and so please go and have a look at Grandmothers Against Removals on Facebook, and you can also look at the Reconciliation Victoria website, which Erin spoke about as well. And don't forget, next week we have Radiothon coming from the 4th of June till the 17th of June. You know, we have over 400 volunteers here who bring you radical radio each week, so make your radio a force for change and donate to 3CR. 3rd of June is actually Marbo Day, and um, that's happening from 12pm at Federation Square. That's right. Yeah, but... um, Thank you once again for joining thank us. You, Dean. And thank you for being here, Cartier. See you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.